This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. But before we get to that, I wanted to give you a little background on Hosea to make sure that we're all on the same page. I'm sure most of you have heard the story of Hosea. There are a lot of crazy stories in the Bible, and this is definitely one of them. God called Hosea to be a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II, in a time of outward prosperity, but of inward spiritual rebellion. And during this time, Assyria, one of Israel's arch enemies, had gained tremendous power and forced Israel and other nations to submit to them and pay tributes. And then the Assyrian king began forcing parts of nations, so smaller pockets of larger nations, to move to other locations in order to break down the power of these nations and prevent rebellion by separating all of their people. So the leaders of Israel panicked and tried to prevent this from happening to their people by forming alliances with Assyria to protect themselves instead of relying on God and his perfect ways and plan. Uh, So Hosea chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 say, You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall rise among your people. And in chapter 12, verse 1, Hosea addresses Ephraim, the central influential tribe in the northern kingdom, when he says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. So pursuing the east wind is a futile activity, and turning to Assyria and Egypt for help instead of the almighty, omnipotent God is not only futile, but insulting. It would be like if your younger sibling turned to their competition for help with a sport when you are the star athlete in that sport and you have genuinely and repeatedly offered to help them. What does that say about your relationship? They don't trust you? They don't want you, or they don't think that you know what you're doing. And that's what Israel is saying to God. They don't believe he can or will help them, so they turn to their enemies instead. And furthermore, they have aligned themselves with nations who worship idols and operate in ways that are an abomination to the one true God. We tend to think of Israel's biggest sin as worshiping idols of other gods, But that's not the only sin, bringing God's wrath on them. And this really caught my attention. How often do we rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own ways to fix our problems instead of praying for God's wisdom and his will to be done, instead of waiting on him and trusting him to guide us? So the root of all sin. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, is not trusting God, thinking we know better, wanting to do things our way 
rather than trusting in and following God's plan. And we are all guilty of this. We turn away from the wisdom, the knowledge, the ways and the plan of the creator of the world, the one who has existed for all time, the omniscient, perfect, and all-loving God, because we think that we know better. So because God is slow to anger and he is a God who longs for the repentance of his people, he calls Hosea to warn the northern kingdom to repent. I don't know how much you guys remember about prophets, but this is a terrible job. Everybody hates prophets because they bring messages that no one wants to hear. They're imprisoned and killed on a regular basis. And then there's the prophets whom God uses to show nations their sins by asking them to do crazy things that represent their sin or their relationship to God. So you've got Ezekiel, right? Whom God told to lie on his side for 390 days and then on his other side for another 40 days while tied with rope to be sure that he couldn't move, and he had to make his bread by cooking the ingredients over poop. <laughs> yes, poop. But God was merciful to Ezekiel, and when Ezekiel protested, God said, okay, fine, you can use cow poop instead of human poop. <laughs> this, is, this is there, this is in the Bible. So if you wanna know why God asked Ezekiel to do this, you can look it up in Ezekiel chapter four. And then there's Hosea. God calls him to marry a woman whom God promises will run away from him and become a prostitute. And so no matter how you look at this situation, this is just not a good deal for Hosea. So I don't know about you, but if I were in Hosea's shoes, I might have reacted like the prophet Jonah and run 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of what God was calling me to do. But God never asks us to do things without good reason. And so God asked this of Hosea, to give a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Hosea married Gomer, knowing she would be unfaithful. In the same way that God created Israel and us, knowing that we would be unfaithful. And God told Hosea to go repurchase his wife, bring her home, and restore her purity. Just as God pursues Israel in the midst of unfaithfulness, and just as God pursues us, in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, redeems us and makes us righteous. And that brings us to Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, in which God expresses his love for Israel, because no matter what Israel does, how drastically they turn away from God, or how far out of his reach they try to run, God is faithful and his love is everlasting. So let us read... Hosea 11, verses 1 to 11, and this is the NIV version. When, Ez when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness and ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them? Because they refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities, and it will devour their false prophets, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. 
Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admah? And how can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle in their homes. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. God will never give up on Israel or let them go. He will always be faithful to his promises despite Israel's unfaithfulness. But disobedience cannot be left unchecked because otherwise they would not come back to him. Israel is not being disciplined here simply because they sinned. Israel is being disciplined because they refuse to repent of their sin. They outwardly sang praises to God and exalted him, but their actions were not in line with their words. They looked to other nations to save them. They gave credit to other nations instead of to God for the blessings and help they received. And they did things their own way, in their own power, with their own wisdom, instead of trusting and obeying God. They worshiped other gods, and all of these things broke their relationship with God and made it completely hypocritical. And then they refused to acknowledge these sins and repent of their ways. The purpose of God's discipline is not to destroy Israel, but it's his way of bringing them back to him. Hosea is very clear about that in this passage. An undisciplined and unrepentant Israel would have continued to believe their blessings and help came from other nations, and they would have continued to turn to their enemies for help, missing the incredible blessings God had for them and further entangling them with nations who would only use them and just toss them out when they were of no more use because these nations did not love or care for Israel. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but there is a repeating cycle in the Old Testament. It's just like a hamster wheel that never stops until the coming of Jesus. God loves, protects, guides, and blesses Israel. And in return, Israel loves and obeys God. But then, Israel is tempted and distracted. They stop trusting and obeying God. God sends prophets to warn Israel to repent, lest they be defeated and taken into exile. And then, of course, Israel refuses to repent. And sure enough, they're conquered and taken into exile away from the promised land. Then they finally recognize their sin, and they repent, and they cry out to God to rescue them. And in his love for them, he eventually does. And then the cycle just repeats again and again. And they just never learn. And I have to wonder, are we like that? How often does it take a bad event or situation or circumstances for us to recognize that we are not pursuing God with our whole hearts or that we are living in unrepentant sin? And how long does it take us to cry out to God to rescue us? So generally speaking, throughout the Old Testament, Israel will not repent until they have been disciplined. But God does not discipline just to appease his anger. 
He's not getting revenge on Israel. He's getting their attention and bringing them home to him because the worst fate they could ever face would be to forget God completely and forever. If generation after generation turned from God, there would be eventually no one left who knew him. And God is perfectly faithful. He promised there would always be a remnant of Israel who would forever be his children. He cannot let them make foreign alliances, marry foreigners, worship other gods until they are so assimilated into other nations, cultures, and religions that they have forgotten who God is, who they are, and to whom they belong. So you see, God knows that we struggle to fully grasp. Life without him is no life at all. So in his love, he disciplines an unrepentant Israel until they recognize their intense need and desire for him, and they finally repent. And thankfully, God still loves us enough to discipline us as well. Obviously, this looks different now in the lives of individuals today than it did for an entire nation thousands of years ago. So it starts with adults when we are children. And guys, I'm not talking about adults who use the need to discipline as an excuse to abuse. That's not what I'm talking about here. So God's design is that parents and caregivers are perfectly in line with and underneath him. So if God is here and directly in line with him, or parents and caregivers and directly in line with him, or children who are obeying parents and caregivers who are obeying God. So I'm old. <laughs> I grew up in a different era, way down in Mississippi, and things were different back then and down there. And our mamas spanked us regularly to keep us in line. <laughs> and that's just how things were back in the day. <laughs> and there was a famous phrase that mamas used when they were about to spank you. So they would sit down, and they would put you face down across their laps, and then they would say, this is gonna hurt me a lot more than it's gonna hurt you. <laughs> And I remember thinking, lady, you got a paddle in your hand. This is not going to hurt you more than it hurts me. <laughs> so in the moment we are disciplined, we are usually never thankful for it. But let's take a minute to think back to childhood. Can any of you remember having a friend or maybe a classmate or someone in one of your activities? And this kid was just wild. And maybe you overheard your parents talking about this kid one day. And in the deep south in the U.S., where I came from, it would have sounded something like this. Dave, I mean, that boy's parents must not discipline him. He is just a wild little thing. He has no respect for his teachers. He doesn't listen to anybody, and he just does whatever he wants. He's going to grow up to be a heathen. <laughs> and I have to say, now that I'm a parent, I realize that disciplining my child is not only necessary, but it's a gift to her. So I discipline my daughter because I love her, because I want her to grow up to be able to have good relationships with others, to have a good marriage in which she can honor and respect her husband, in which she can compromise. And I want her to be able to have a job and to work for somebody and be respected with a chance to be promoted. But most importantly, I discipline her so that she learns to submit and obey, so that she can truly be a disciple of Christ one day. So I discipline her in love, even when it's hard, even when it's a sacrifice on my part, even when it's exhausting, and even when it hurts. And when I think back to my mother spanking me, I realize, you know what? It probably did hurt her more than it hurts me. 
because I would go all stiff like this, because <laughs> I was scared, right? <laughs> and she was, I don't know, let's say age 40, so you know, old and decrepit, um, and it probably did just about break her arm to spank me. <laughs> but in all seriousness, as a parent, disciplining children is hard work, and it takes a lot of mental energy to discern the truth in a situation and to figure out how to best discipline. So can you guys remember maybe a time when you were at home alone with your siblings, or maybe you and your siblings were just in another room from your parents, and then something got broken? And then your parents come in the room, and all they hear is this. He did it. No, she did it. Well, he started it. No, she started it. Well, I didn't touch it. Well, me neither. I was over there. Well, well I was outside. No, you weren't. Well, he threw a pillow and broke the lamp. No, she was chasing me with a pillow and broke the lamp. And I can tell you at this point, your parents had no idea who to believe or what happened or what they should do. But they knew because they loved you that they had to do something to bring you back in line and to not let you turn into a little heathen. <laughs> and then it takes a lot of mental energy to discern when and how to discipline. And then it takes a huge amount of energy to enforce the punishment in love and not in anger. Since, it's only since I've become a parent that I've truly understood discipline as an act of love. And actually, sometimes it's painful to watch children suffer the consequences of their actions. So I used to cut my daughter's hair when she was younger. Okay, her hairstyles were probably a punishment in and of themselves, but that is beside the point here. Uh, when she was five, I was cutting her hair one day, and she told me that she wanted to be a hairdresser when she grew up. Okay, so knowing where this might lead, I explained to her very clearly that she could never, ever, ever use scissors on anything other than paper. Cutting anything besides paper was absolutely forbidden. So a few weeks later, we were visiting friends who had a daughter just a year younger than my daughter. You can all see where this is going. <laughs> so the adults were upstairs in the kitchen having a good time, and we finally realized, it's a little too quiet in here. So we started calling them to find out where they were, and they came up from the basement, and immediately we knew that something was not as it should be. I mean, there were chunks of hair missing. My daughter had hacked this poor girl's hair to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> and because my daughter blatantly disobeyed, she missed a pool party that afternoon that she had been looking forward to for weeks. She cried for hours because swimming is her favorite activity. I was so mad at her for disobeying and for what she had done, but I was simultaneously really torn up inside because I knew how much that consequence was hurting her in that moment. But had we chosen not to discipline her, there could be exponentially more little girls out there with their hair hacked to pieces because she saw this as her destiny and she was just gonna go for it. So she had to be reined in and taught right from wrong. She had to be brought back in line to protect herself and the hairstyles of little girls everywhere. But I think back to that moment, I cannot even imagine how much it grieves God to see us turning away from him, disregarding him, disrespecting him, and trusting in anything and everything but him, and headed down a path that leads only to death, because anything that does not lead towards God leads to death. And so God disciplines us 
because to discipline us is to love us. As adults, it's not always quite so straightforward to see how he works out his discipline in our lives. Sometimes God allows us to suffer the consequences of poor choices or mistakes when we have been operating outside of his will and instead of rescuing us from the pain, the setbacks, and the embarrassment, in love, God gives us room to repent and learn from our mistakes. And sometimes, God uses others to speak into our lives and we are in the wrong. And we may feel embarrassed when we know that we have sinned. And if we are unrepentant, we may experience defensiveness, denial, anger, blaming others, and so on. Because our pride is wounded and it really stings. And if we continue in our unrepentance, these attitudes may lead into conflict. And so God allows us to suffer the consequences of our unrepentance with maybe damaged relationships. Maybe it's loss of a job or a position. Maybe it's a bad reputation or being gossiped about. Maybe it's being passed over for a promotion. Or maybe God's discipline is as simple as the Holy Spirit just continuing to nudge us, making us uncomfortable and withholding peace until we finally surrender, repent, and submit. What a beautiful, freeing experience when we finally let go of our sin, repent, and the peace of God returns. But again, God does not discipline us out of anger or hatred or to get revenge, but out of love, because his only desire is to see us walking in right relationship with him, experiencing his love, blessings, forgiveness, and grace to the fullest in our lives so that we can in turn share his love's blessing, his love, blessings, and grace with those around us until we are all walking in right relationship with our creator through our King Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So may we learn to bear his discipline with patience, humility, and thankfulness. As we come to a place of confession and repentance, because God's arms are open wide waiting for us to come home to him. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.